Welcome to the final and 20th episode of Season 2 of Sharing Life Lessons. I am your host, Hamida, and I want to bring you stories. Because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. First of all, I am delighted to welcome my listeners for the last episode of the second season, which is my 20th episode. Now, when I started sharing life lessons and I released my first three episodes on January 20, 2020, I did not think that I was ever going to release my 20th episode. I really thought I was going to give this a shot and yeah, maybe get to eight, 10 episodes, but then I'll have nothing to say. Well, lo and behold, this is the completion of my 20th episode. So thank you very much to all my listeners for getting me here. But I also realized that whilst I'm recording this, I am having so much fun with it. And I'm meeting such nice people who have such lovely personal stories together with insightful life lessons to share with the listeners. And I've also had comments from my listeners saying that, There are some episodes that have actually felt like they were meant for them. That is the stuff that they really had to hear that day or during that phase of their life. And so when I record every episode, I say to myself, if this can make an impact or change the life of or help even one person, it's worth my while to record that episode. And that has brought me so far. I also want to give credit to one of my well-wishers who, after listening to the first few episodes, said, Hamida, you know, I think you're going to record your 100th episode. Well, I am already one-fifth way through, so I'm going to take that up as my challenge, and I am going to try and get to 100. I'm hoping everyone's rooting for me, and I'm hoping that I can get you 100 wonderful stories with 100 lovely people with 100 life lessons that they want to share. And now I'm ready to introduce our guest for today. Today we have a very special guest. Our guest was a cop for 34 years in the Pittsburgh, Philadelphia area, and he's now retired for 10 years. So we really have a veteran cop here. And in this time of Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on, about it, it is really a privilege to be able to interview a cop and get his perspective on all of this. So everyone, let's welcome Bill Burisak. Hello, Bill, and welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. It's wonderful to have you on the show. We've been introduced to each other by a common friend, and I am forever in gratitude to her for getting me to know you. Can you, Bill, start us off by telling us something about yourself? Well, I started work as a policeman back in 1974, and I worked in a small town that was ripe with mill money. U.S. Steel was the biggest property there. It was only a half a square mile, and there was lots of mill money around. So all the vices were represented, and I was a policeman in that town for about seven years. My best guess of that was that I was given the opportunity to be a policeman in a wide open town when I was young. And then when I was old, I became a county policeman and I told you not to park on the grass. So it was 
age-related that I did a lot of work and a lot of fun in that town when I was young. And when I was old, I told you not to do certain things that were good for an old person to tell you. Got it. So you were in the police force for how long? I spent 35 years as a policeman. And when and did you, re you retired, I'm assuming? Yes, I retired about 10 years ago. When you do police work, you have to do it without fear. Their statement that you hear all the time is, it is better to be tried by 12 than carried by six. So it is better to go to court than it is to die. So you act accordingly. I sent an email to Kate, the, the uh, mutual friend that introduced us. And in that mail, I said that the riot gear that those policemen were doing has no conscience. It does not talk to you. It is only there for show. So that is something you cannot converse with. You just scream at it. And I felt the necessary part of my life was to be able to talk to people. Bill, before we go to your story, take us back. Take us back to why you became a policeman. I, I sat in the academy, the police academy, and the guy sitting next to me said, you're not writing that. I said, yes, I am. I got hired as a policeman because I couldn't get hired as anything else. I had applied for different jobs. I had come out of the University of Pittsburgh with a bachelor's degree in biology and a bachelor's degree in psychology. Uh -huh. And both of which, if you know anything about the worlds of biology and psychology, you can't make any money at either of those professions. Mm -hmm. So I became a policeman to, it was in my hometown. I just took the test and I outscored everybody. So I was there. Oh, lovely. Okay. We are ready to hear your story, Bill. Tell us your story. My story, I call it, it's an Androcles and the lion. Androcles was the guy who removed the thorn from the lion's paw. And the lion was so grateful because he removed the thorn from his paw. Well, when I was working in one of the towns that I was working in, because after Homestead, I went to West Mifflin before I took the job with the county. That's in Pennsylvania. It's just outside of Pittsburgh. And when we used to do work for private businesses, but we were hired through the municipality, but we also did security work for the municipality, but for private business. Mm -hmm. And one of the places I was working was the Steak and Ale in West Mifflin. And they were having a private party there of General Electric employees. And there were two black men in this party. And they were okay, but the bartender said, please watch them. And I said, well, why would I watch them? He said, well, they're different. I said, yeah, but again, different does not mean bad. Well, different became bad. After a while, they left. And when they came back, they were different. I assumed that they had taken some kind of a drug mm -hmm. because that's how they were different. And they began to cause problems mm. until the bartender told me they have to be removed. So 
as is the training that you get in police work. You go after the big one. I don't know whoever said that. Go after the big one, because that's not the way to go. You really should go after the little one. But they always tell you, if you can control the big one, then you can control. Well, the big one was Billy. Billy was six foot eight and about 300 pounds. I went up to him and asked him nicely if he would mind leaving because him and his partner were causing problems. And he decided not to leave. And then his partner egged him on to kill the little guy in front of him, which was me in uniform. I used the grab and throw technique of police work. Now this technique was to get a person to just look at the uniform one more time. Mm -hmm. They could do anything that they wanted the first time, but when they got thrown away and looked at the uniform, maybe they would settle down and things could go back to that conversation that we were talking about, that we could talk. Well, there was no talking to Billy. Billy looked down at me during this being egged on by his friend, and he said, I'm going to kill you now, because he was a very, very large man. I myself am six foot. At the time, I was about 215 pounds. So I wasn't small, but to him, I was very small. Uh -huh. I looked at his jacket, and my grip was on his jacket so tight that you could see the leather stretch underneath my grip. I was definitely pumping enough adrenaline to keep me going. And when Billy said it was time for me to die, I picked him up, all 300 pounds of him, put him on the bar and ran him down the bar. Well, we got to the point where we ran out of bar. When we ran out of bar, we went through the double doors and ended up in the hallway. To which Billy said, uncle, uncle, uh, you obviously lift weights, I'm cool. <laughs> so I said, that's nice. And I left him there. I said, just stay here and I'll go in and get your friend. Okay, and so his, for, the, for the listeners, when he said, I'm cool, what was he actually telling you? He was telling me that he was going to sit there and not do anything. Got he it. Was, he was perfectly fine. And I went in and got his partner who was really under the influence of something. The things that he said and the stuff that he did was really over the top. But I was fortunate that the other people in the bar were kind of keeping him from me when I was dealing with Billy. And when I came back in alone, they let him go, to which he walked right into me. And because he was under the influence of something, he was easy to handle. I had called for backup immediately. And they couldn't come because they were busy with another circumstance, a domestic that they were dealing with. And I was alone. So I took care of this situation by myself. And when they arrived, and I, I usually call it the cavalry arriving, I had the situation under control. The Billy was sitting there perfectly calm. And the other guy was under arrest. So he was, although not calm, he was controlled. So they came in and said, what's going on? I said, nothing. So we went to the station. I have to tell you, just from what I heard so far, I have two reactions. A, this is super scary, what you do as a policeman. Yes, and B, so. 
Yeah, and B, this actually sounds like something right from a movie. It was one of the times I have in the 33 years, 35 years I was a policeman, I had maybe one what I call TV moment a year. Uh-huh. And that was that was my TV moment of that year was that Billy was bigger than me and could kill me in a minute but was under the influence and therefore easier to control and then once he said everything was cool everything was cool between me and him we ended up going back to the station him and I talking on the way getting there and all he got out of it was a disorderly conduct citation which is like a traffic ticket you write it and you let him go the other guy was not so much. He was so bad that at 25 years old, we called his mother mm. to come to the cell to try to calm him down a little so that we could process him. And, you know, his, he was ble it was terrible. He was spitty, it was terrible. So I said, let's call his mother, let's bring her in. When he went off on his mother, I knew that I was safe because he was going off on his mother. You know, I, she believed everything I said after that because her son had done what I said he was going to do. When he calmed down and when he was no longer under the influence, the next day when we were in court for the preliminary hearing, he was the nicest person you ever wanted to meet. So apologetic, so nice. You know, I can't believe I said that to my mother, blah, all that stuff. He ended up getting a little bit more than a citation. But after seeing how he had changed, it just ended up as a disorderly conduct. So it, it all turned out fairly well. And where the Androcles and the lion story comes in is I was in front of a bar in the town that I was working in when someone got thrown through the front door. Okay, now this is, is at another time. This is... This is complete another time. Okay. So a person had been thrown through the door, so I couldn't drive away. This was a fight in progress. I decided to go in, calling for backup. They were far enough away that I went in by myself. It was a scene from a movie pull cues, overturn tables. It was a mess, an absolute mess. But when I walked through the door, they all turned their attention to me. I was the cop in the room. So they all said in unison, let's kill the cop. So they were a little upset. Okay, and what was going on in your mind at the time as, as soon as you heard that? I, I could not get away fast enough, and the door was too far away. <laughs> I, I'm sure. From the right side of me, sitting at the bar, in the shadows, was a big black man. And he said, if you mess with him, you mess with me. And they stopped. And that big black man was Billy. Fascinating. He came out of nowhere. He said he had his motorcycle helmet there. And he said, do you want to sit down for a drink? And you're not supposed to drink in uniform. But I sat down for a drink with Billy. <laughs> because he had saved my life. 
Well, when the cavalry came through the door, they saw a bar completely disheveled, but everyone sitting on whatever they could find to sit on, and me and Billy sitting at the bar having a drink. They said, what's going on here? I said, absolutely nothing. Everything was fine. Bartender was fine with the damage. He was used to it. Everything was fine. And I look, like I said, if I had not been nice to Billy, okay, when, when I arrested Billy and his friend, if I was not nice to them, gave them a chance to let out their passions because I was arresting them, but then we conversed nicely. If I was not nice to them, when I got into that situation in a bar, Billy would not have been there. And he was there for me as the biggest person in the room he stopped them from messing with me. I, I didn't have to do anything except point to him and say, I'm with him. And that mm -hmm. was it. So it was a point where being nice saved my life. What I'm there for is the 95% of the time that you meet a policeman and that policeman is nice. I'm not there for the 5% when you really need somebody. If you're assaulted, robbed, house burglarized, you need a real policeman. And I can be that if I want to be, but that's for the detectives, for other guys who put the uniform on and act a certain way. When you need a policeman, you need someone better than me. When you just need a policeman, you hope you meet me because it's gonna be a nice experience and we're gonna be able to talk. And that's what I say, if you can't talk, that's when there's a problem. And you can't talk in a riot situation, you can't talk in a protest situation, you can't talk in a negative situation if I'm just arresting you. That's when we can't talk. And we need to get to that place to where we can have a conversation person to person, and that will make the difference. And in my case, my being able to talk to Billy made the difference. Absolutely. But, but Bill, is this something that you learn in the academy, or is this just something you follow as your own person? Well, as a person, it is mostly me. I have found that in government service, Okay, I, I have a very negative opinion of the government in general. I feel that they are lazy. They will take the easy way out. And that is what I find many in government service, which being a policeman is actually being in government service. Being in the military is the government service. You in the, in the force, if you will, people find themselves with a path of least resistance. And it's easier to pick on somebody with that. It's easier to use a racial slur, to use a, a physical slur, because it's just easier than it is to come up with something uh, special on your own. And in my case, I found that those people who appear to have the least to offer will have some gem of wisdom to give you. And I glean that gem of wisdom from them. And my whole life is that way. Very interesting to hear that, Bill. So 
tell us more stories. The one you told uh, us was just mind blowing. Can we hear more? One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite policemen uh, is, is known as T. Westray. And he was the kind of bigot that you would like to know because he could insult you in five different ways in the same sentence. He hated everybody, but he hated everybody equally. Uh -huh. And he was fun to be around because of this surly attitude that he had. Well, we were called to a domestic situation. And in a domestic situation, one of the generalizations that they give you is naturally you go for the biggest guy, so you go for the guy. And one of those things is that deaf people are very strong. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but people who cannot talk and cannot communicate normally are very strong. And I find this to be quite true. Hmm, interesting. Well, we arrived at this domestic situation and this deaf mute was the husband. And he had already torn the front door off of his house, hinges and all, screws, it didn't, he just tore it right out. So if you were a deaf mute and having a domestic with your wife, who would you go for? The nice, friendly cop like me or the bigot? Well, he went right for the bigot and began to explain himself by using his hands. His hands were chest height, and he was signing that he was having problems with his wife. To which the bigot, the, the wonderful man I work with, looked at him and said, I can't understand a thing you're saying to me. So without raising his voice, he picked his hands up to around head height and began to sign again. To which my partner, the bigot, said, no reason to raise your voice at me. He went from chest height to head height with his sign language, raising his voice, and he turned around and walked away from him, leaving him to me. So I take things into hand and, and everything turned out well, but I always remember that there's no, you know, there's no reason to raise your voice to me. That's a funny one. So I always remember that story with T. West. So he would just do things for the fun of it. And it always seemed that when you needed someone to be there, he was there. That's the thing that I find about people. I call them the bulldogs. In police work, you can, have, you can be a bulldog and you bark at people. And it's good to have those people with you sometimes because you're in a situation where there is only noise. And the person barking the loudest is going to be heard over the noise. Yeah. Bill, I want to take you back to the first story because I've been thinking about what you um, yeah. said. It, it is extremely interesting how you won over Billy by having a conversation with him and being good to him. But if it wasn't for you over there and it was, say, another cop, and he wasn't as nice, and he wasn't having a conversation, this whole scenario could have been very different. Yes, very much so. And in your times, did you find that there were more of your kind of cops? Or well, 
what I found was when other policemen were with me, they were more like me. So I did not have the negative experience, but because of the situation and the riots and such, is that I found that the riot uniform has no thought process. It has no conscience. It cannot have a conversation. So stay away from them. When there were riots in the time I was a policeman, and I was in that gear, I couldn't be the person that I was. I could not have the conversation. So do what I ask you to do, or just go away. And that's where I have such feeling for both the protesters and the Antifa rioters and the policemen, because you can't have a conversation. And that, that's when I did my worst. And when I did my best, I could talk. And I, I saved Billy and Billy saved me. That's yeah. what I got out of it. Yeah. If you were a cop today, mm -hmm. what changes would you like to see? I would like to see, again, they called it in my day, community-oriented policing, COP. Policemen walked the beat in the neighborhood and got to know the people. I went from home, uh, being a homestead policeman to being a West Mifflin policeman. It meant more money, bigger town, nicer place to work. I used to play basketball with the black guys in the one part of West Mifflin that was considered the ghetto. But I was down there eating ribs and playing basketball because I came from a town that was mostly black in homestead. And there was lots of, like I said, money around because of the mill people. But the town itself was mostly black. Mm -hmm. And I was their policeman. And they hated the West Mifflin policemen because they were white. But because I came from Homestead, I was theirs. And they treated me better. And I treated them better. And it built on each other. And that's what I would like to see today, is you treat me better, I treat you better. You treat me better than that. I treat you better than that. And that's how that kind of trust takes a little time to build. But you, you're, you're saying that that's the trust that's right now missing. Between yes, absolutely. And so this whole thing about the protesters, which I stand by the peaceful protesters personally. I yeah. do not stand by the people who are looting and rioting. But right. I personally stand by the peaceful protesters. And when they say, take some of the funding from the police corp and put it into community projects, is that something you think is being rightfully asked for? Because it's going back to your COP idea. Yes. Well, I do believe that that is in a sense correct. But in many cases, I find that the conversation wants to leave the policeman out and use the money just for a community group and not a community group that is in concert with the police. And you need that conversation back and forth. I need to see you as a person and you need to see me as a person and then a uniform and then a black person, then a woman, then a 
that is what you see first is the person then you see what they might be and if that helps you make your decision as time goes on as you said what you feel for with the police is that they have to make instantaneous decisions mm -hmm. that are sometimes life and death and that is not easy to do and there are a plethora of monday morning quarterbacks both in and out of government service that will question everything that you do mm -hmm. i did get yelled at for playing basketball with the blacks because we don't do that well this policeman does and i continue to do that getting away from the wrath of my superiors by doing it at different times but i still did it because it was important to me that i was part of their community and that's how i got my intelligence was from them telling me the stories that i'll tell you they told me about this guy and that guy he was a bad actor he was a bad person and then i could watch him and do more for the community and i think that's what's missing yeah bill these are all such wise words and i could keep talking to you but time's running out and i want to ask you what is your life lesson that you want to share with your listeners from all of your policemen experience what is your life lesson my life lesson is is rather simple everyone everyone has a story everyone is a person that has a hidden talent and you can find that talent just by giving them a chance and my life's lesson is from billy the big guy i gave him a chance and he really came through i didn't change his life at all he was still who he thought he would wanted to be but he saved me and everyone has that innate ability to help or hurt someone else and these you need to pick up these lessons from people to help other people and bill i know you're not just saying it but you actually were walking your talk when you were a cop and for that i really want to thank you it is an honor to be talking to a policeman right now because of everything that's going on and especially a policeman such as you who did something for the people talked to them and made them feel like people yes we all have to be that way and i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for that thank you for being on the show sharing life lessons is honored to have you and anytime anytime you want me back i'll be glad to return i may take you up on that offer okay thank Bye you now. bill thanks a lot okay listeners i hope you enjoyed bill's stories as much as i did i feel like he's such a natural storyteller and his story of androcles and the lion that will stay with me for a really long time it's going to be really difficult to forget that story but what did that story really tell me it it contradicted many biases that are out there many think that if a person is black he is bad big black billy in that story proved otherwise when given a chance he showed his gratitude 
by saving Bill the cop's life. Not many would do that when given a chance, and therefore, Big Black Billy was not bad. On the other hand, given Derek Chauvin's and George Floyd's recent incident, many now have a bias that cops are bad. Well, you heard Bill the cop. What aspect of him was bad? In fact, I am wishing that if I ever meet a policeman for any reason, he or she should be like Bill. Therefore, the life lesson that Bill shared with us really hit home for me. If Derek Chauvin and George Floyd were able to talk to each other, if they were able to converse, if they were face-to-face, the whole outcome of that situation would have been so much more better and different. And what I take away from these stories is we need to stop generalizing and we need to start conversations. What do you think? Please write to me with your comments at sharinglifelessons101 at gmail.com. Also, if you have your own stories to share, you know where to reach me. All of this information is in the show notes. This brings us to the end of Season 2. Listeners, I will be taking the next three weeks off to have some summer fun time with the family, and I will return again on Wednesday, July 22nd with a brand new Season 3 of Sharing Life Lessons. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.